Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Whether we've been creating elementary stone tools, traveling into space, or developing our own artificial intelligence, since the beginning of time, humans have been fascinated by how our world works. Design thinking has exploded into the 21st century. It is a methodology designed to put humans at the center of our work. This series explores where it came from and where it's going. From methodology to a philosophy for life, design thinking is changing the world. That's Sam Fry and I'm Richard Adams. Today we're exploring how the growth of design thinking is impacting design education and thus the future of design. We'll find out what is design from a design school perspective, what are some of the methodologies they teach, and with organisations outside in the world embracing design thinking, whether the universities are having to change too. Act 1. What is design? What a big question to start this episode. People often conflate design with design thinking. They have been historically quite different, But as user-centred design has taken hold, certain aspects of both are starting to overlap and meld together. So what do we mean by the word design? To start, here is Lisa Ayama, a design student at the Royal College of Art. I mean, personally, I see design as kind of like this really fluid, almost like a glue in between things, in between disciplines, like I guess how Richard Buchanan said it was an integrative discipline. I see it as like a glue that doesn't have a shape of its own and that doesn't have a, 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 an area of its own, but it sort of like try and mushes all these different bits and pieces together, whether it be science, whether it be sustainability or different ideologies and also obviously like the users and you know, all these things. While Lisa is studying a master's in design, her undergraduate course was an arts course. We asked her about the difference. I think essentially design is sort of a ways of, of responding to what the current situation is in the world and to try and pr- provide like, I guess, a way to address that problem in a more kind of more pragmatic way. Whereas I feel like wh- why I say my practice was probably more artistic is because it in my previous undergrad it was more to do with like self-expression about interpreting the world in your view. Design and art are closely related but they aren't the same thing and design thinking is a step away yet again. Alex Stanek explains how fine artists differ from designers. I think where it all ties together and at the same time deviates is the contrast between the stages of design thinking or the approaches in design thinking and the approaches in, I guess, more fine art based thinking, because in a more kind of fine art process, what you also have to do is you have to abstract. And I I think this is where they deviate because in a fine art work, you're actually trying, or even when you're not actively trying, you're actually obfuscating a little bit. So on one hand, you want it to be accessible, but you also don't want the work to reveal itself too much. Returning to Lisa Ayama, while Lisa doesn't have an explicit definition for design, she does believe that people's individuality shapes what they design. She had this to say. 
so I guess when I talk about my ideas around design thinking and how like for example you know the cognitive characteristics of a designer is actually really important and um, people are then like okay but how do you teach someone that you know how if I wanted to be a designer how am I supposed to do that you know because I thought if I could just use Photoshop, I'd be able to be a designer. I don't really have an answer to that. I think that is this is also something that is going to develop um, along with all the other developments that are in design. And ultimately, I kind of, my sort of like vision, I suppose, for the future is for these kind of subjective design thinkings to really emerge from different practitioners, not just designers, and for that to form almost like a, an archive or a database that we can then start to unpick and really point at, you know, actually quite concrete subjective experiences in the life world and how that can lead to nurturing of certain attitudinal designs. Yeah, to really kind of be able to like have that in front of us and to connect the dots, I think would be like a really amazing thing to do um, to really further our understanding of like this other aspect of design. But we're nowhere near there because no one has, is really explicitly advocating for this other side of design. Dr. Yankee Lee co-founded the Enable Foundation and has a background teaching at places like Royal College of Art. She believes that the word design, especially in the context of design thinking, is problematic. The word design is a problem because design has been understood as a discipline, but at the same time, it's a word, it's an action, it's something you're doing. So, but then if you look at which, like, uh, systematic thinking, system thinking, visual thinking, I think it can be a mixture of different thinking. And as I say, it's a very organic way that you can you can use visual thinking or systematic thinking in different stage. But design is seems like too much trying to cover everything. And also so many people asking about it and then they try to define it and make it even more I think it's against the original practice of design because it's very organic. Even even though, for example, if you look at the most popular way to describe design process is the design council, this double diamond. It's still a loop. It's still a very organic process. It's never fixed that you must do discover, define and develop and deliver. It's more like some a framework trying to understand it. So design as a term is challenging. It's used as a noun. This is the design for a building or a garment or a process, but it is also a verb to design, being in the process of designing. We also heard about specific design concepts and alternatives like systems thinking, the scientific method, subjective design and speculative design. Let's have a look at some of those next. Act two. Areas of design. Many of the designers that we spoke to just don't get exposed to these approaches within their design education. Joseph Picard, a designer studying at the Royal College of Arts Global Innovation Design course, actually values the scientific method. What we're definitely being hammered into as scientific rigor. And so the other perspective that I bring to this is 
design thinking is nice, uh, but in a sense, it is it is a methodology that's highly creative and still relatively superficial. When you want to do this really well, I guess at that point you need to start looking at matters of ethnography and neuroscience and uh, cutting edge psychological theories and looking at okay, how do you actually bring that level of rigor into the design process in order to be able to then really scrutinize the consequences and build something that has meaningful social value as well as robust business value. And that's, that's perhaps where sort of the field of design research, which is this sort of like an emerging new wave, again, of thinking sort of comes in hand and comes, comes into play. Joe does believe that design methods and scientific method are complementary. I think they do. They do. They design thinking or design and science definitely go in hand. Um, I do even say that they probably have more in common than we than we think, right? It's just like there, there's this weird, odd separation between creativity and 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 rational thinking. Uh, which yes, uh, there are different processes in the brain, but uh, at the same time, science is highly creative field, right? And it is highly iterative. It works with hypotheses and experiments. I guess what science has going to it that design doesn't is that it, design is a little bit lazy. <laughs> we like to play and maybe work off of intuition and talent and taste, which are things that are not so valid in, in science, perhaps. But I'd say design lacks rigor quite often. Um, not sure if you'd agree, but... You know, I think I think that's one one up that that business has over design generally, and that's probably why it's such a dominant force as well. Is that it is it is a pretty rigorous thing. You you measure all your business metrics and all your accounting metrics, and that's how you run your your operations. As designers, I think you know we've we've been asking for the seat at the table, and then we finally got it, and now we're kind of like. I don't actually know how to explain this, but it looks cool. <laughs> you know, so I think we need to bring up, there, there's a lot that I think the two fields, science and design, can learn from each other. And they're definitely compatible and they should be collaborative. Joe is trying to bring some of the strengths that design has to scientists. I work for a company that's called No Innovation, and a sister company, Inclusive Innovation. And the key thing that we're trying to do is basically accelerate science through creative thinking. So bringing, teaching the sort of basic collaborative skills and openness um, to scientists, um, you know, yes and, and divergent thinking and um, being able to give feedback in a, in a productive way and so on. For, for them to learn from the creative side and, and I think there's just so many lessons um, that design and business and technologists can learn uh, also from the sort of scientific rigor and the depth of work that goes on there. Should be a collaboration, for sure. Early on in this series, we talked about wicked problems, you might remember. Joseph also talked about this and the link between wicked problems, design thinking, and another concept, systems thinking. Wicked problems, yeah. It's a term that I've really started to understand only last year when I did a project around errant mental health in the wake of COVID. And my understanding of wicked problems is essentially it's, it's in the context of like your typical design brief, right? I'm not sure now who said it, but it's a sort of a kind environment. It's, it's easier to tackle. It's, it's a bit more clear cut. It's a narrowed down scope. Um, whereas 
a wicked problem is something that's incredibly tangled. It's systemic. It may sort of have a very clear core, but the complexity then arises from the system that exists in politically and technologically and I don't know, in terms of infrastructural debt uh, and so on. So, um, yeah, my understanding of wicked problems is basically that it's, 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 it's very complex, unkind challenges. This brings us to another emerging way of viewing the world, systems thinking. Here's Diana Kangiza, a multidisciplinary designer that is studying design innovation engineering. We asked her to explain the differences between design thinking and systems thinking. I would not <laughs> put them apart, although there is, let's say, maybe some differences. I actually read this book recently called Designing for Society. Very good book, I think. Very, very good book. Um, I think if I remember very well, the authors are Ninke Trump and Paul Heckert, if I pronounce their names right. And they explain that this thinking, the system thinking, is a missing mindset in the present. And it's a weakness in today's design and innovations. That's what they said. And I actually, I, I can see that. What, what, when I say about systems thinking, which I think it is embedded, if you think about it, in the design thinking, it should at least. Because every product that you do, system, whatever, it will have an impact on the society, right? Either a big group of people or a smaller group of people. So you should always think of the system behind it, the system of your product. Design thinking puts the human at the heart of things. Systems thinking is about connections and emergence and complexity. In the end, though, we're also all individuals with our own perspective on things. Our subjectivity is very, very important too. Here's Lisa again. I think the, the subjective aspect of it, that's not limiting itself to the scope of say a project that's really to do with like who you are as a person where do you come from your cultural background how does that influence your perspective like you know for me for example I was born in Japan but I grew up in the UK so I have I guess sort of a a more like fluid cultural perspective on things and I really sense how that impacts the way I interpret interpret things and how I sort of propose things, even in things like group discussions. So I really think the subjective aspect of someone's upbringing and I guess also themselves as a practitioner is a really big aspect in, in design thinking. So yeah, to really sort of not ignore that part and to see it as, as something that is uh, distinct to the process. Our individual perspective gives us a very clear view on how the world should work. But our interactions with it often lead us to think about how much better things might be. Which brings us to yet another design approach, speculative design. The term speculative design comes from a book by Anthony Dunn and Fiona Rabi called Speculative Everything, Design, Dreaming and Social Dreaming. In short, speculative design involves looking at some of the wicked problems in society and proposing an alternative as a catalyst for conversation. As part of Lisa's degree, she used speculative design to explore what the role of robots will be in the future. She created a sneezing vacuum cleaner. This was in a pair and I was teamed up with an Irish guy called Finn. He's got a really eclectic background as well, but I guess he studied politics before when we started sort of discussing what topic or like what theme we should go for, we sort of vied with the idea of like, 
oh, but like robots are always made to be convenient and they're meant to serve humans. And but then like when they're you know depicted as something that is like rebellious, it's always like kind of scary and dystopian and they're like overpowering humans and this kind of thing. Like why is there nothing in between kind of thing? So then we just came up with like a bunch of ideas for robots that are rebellious but are also like slightly charming and creates creates a nuisance but you somehow can't stop or like can't really kind of be aggressive to it because yeah we, we just wanted to make this charmingly nuisance uh robot we we, we we sort of just ideated and just came up with this sneezing vacuum cleaner idea and we were like yeah this is probably the one one of the key things about speculative design is that you can use a design alternative to provoke these conversations. My practice or like the process of my project normally sort of kicks off with a question um, and that might be genuine curiosity. I mean, the, the, the sneezing vacuum cleaner was the starting point was pretty conceptual but for example, the current project I'm working on is to do with fake news in a social media context. So the starting point for that is, I guess, much more concrete, real life thing that's happening out there. Um, but then the thing that really sort of drives me or that sort of sets me on my path is a question that I have about that situation. So like, why is this happening? Like, why is it the way it is? And just really questioning, like, I guess, what what we can see at face value and just kind of trying to, like, keep asking the why questions. I guess there's, like, a design method of five whys that's quite popular. But I guess it's similar and just kind of, like, trying to pursue, like, the deeper levels of something. And that normally just makes me more, more and more interested about this topic. In the last episode, we shared Steliana Minkowska's story about designing an alternative space for birthing. You may remember that she saw this as speculative too. Actually, to me, they were they were very speculative in the way they emerged was just my my representation of things that should actually change. And of course, I conducted series of interviews and and uh, questioned a lot of women when with who have undergone through uh, all sorts of um, reproductive means, whether it's miscarriage or abortion or cesarean birth, vaginal birth, medical intervention, and so on. Um, the way they emerged was just how I, I really, I was my, I was my persona. Just to answer the question in a straightforward way, I would say that they are, they were born as a very speculative series of object, objects. But then when they were presenting to the audience, even, even until recently, I went to visit the maternity wards at St. Mary's and Queen Charlotte's um, um, and Chelsea's hospitals. People were like, we need these. Can you, why did you donate them to St. Thomas's? Why didn't you reach out to us? People see them as actually, oh my God, this should, this should be real. And in a way, I see them this way as well, but they were, they were produced as, as prototypes. I think there is a lot of technology and a lot more work required in them to be to be fully functional. Amanda Foreman, a business designer at The Zone, believes it's valuable to embrace all methodologies. It's a little bit of a recognition that maybe not every methodology is applicable in every circumstance. 
and that's okay. But can you take things from different methodologies and adapt them to the industry that you're in and recognize like the good things? So maybe the good thing for a more industrial setting is that you need to be human centered and you need to think about what people actually want. Design thinking sits alongside these other design concepts like the scientific method, systems thinking, agile, speculative design and subjective design. Where design thinking stands for embracing collaboration, user centricity and iteration, and in some cases is being used as the design process itself, those are not actually the only options. It's more like one large Venn diagram and the sweet spot at the centre is everything around you. But with more organisations embracing design thinking, is this changing? How is design taught to students at university? Is design thinking changing design schools? We asked Dr. Yankee Lee, who has often taught on design courses, whether design thinking is being taught at those places. I think my first impression is not. And then it really like, triggered me to really find out more. So I've been just doing some Google wiki search. And actually, there is nothing mentioned about design thinking in design education. So they, there's something very interesting to talk about providing a framework for students to practice soft skill, which is what they mean, um, having a design critics, student presentation, team project, like what they call the deadline fighter, uh, learning to work with deadline, and then how to improve all this skill working under stress, and then like having much more personality development, nothing mentioned about design thinking there. So, so my observation was correct. Students are being taught practical soft skills, but at an undergraduate level at least, unlike other design concepts, design thinking is often not taught. Yankee has observed that MA students, such as those that we have spoken to, often come across the term via their industry experience. So I don't like having an MA course that I run, so I usually invited to teach. And so I every time I would go and talk to students, tell me have you ever heard about design thinking? So far, no one have ever. So um, they may heard about it when they're working. For example, a master student, they maybe have some experience in industry and they heard about it, but they no one so far I was talking have been formally taught design thinking. And um, all the design school I went, so far there's nothing, a formal module called design thinking. I've been talking to a lot of design school. I think the design research part is very important to teach students because that is the starting point of the project. But then you also need to teach them about the, the actual implementation skill or making it, or we call it like representing your ideas. So something you think when you investigate that, oh, the world should be like this. And then how you actually demonstrate, represent through materials, that is also missing at the moment at a lot of design school because when design thinking is coming to design school now, a lot of students um, is really care about social issues, but then they don't have the research methodologies to really teach them to research. And then they don't have the very fundamental making skill to really representing their solution or their, their ideas. So I think 
the design school is really responding to this at the moment. A lot of them are very struggling. And I think most of the famous ones will just continue to do their own way, which is like making furniture, making fashion collection. Um, but I see the the customer, which is a student, have a lot of a lot of them really want to engage in social science issues, social issues, social science, social issues. But then my question always to them is that you are not trained as a social scientist. You're not an anthropologist. How can you you do the observation in a systematic way? And how can this translate back to your design? And that is still a question mark for me. And I, I've been doing it myself. So I'm trying to rationalize it and then trying to teach my student. But I don't have enough example yet. So I feel that maybe something can be collaborated between different practitioners that's really bring it back because there's a lot of missing link between all the research, what is happening in the world and how that's translated to design or designed to respond to the social issues. Um, so a lot of my students, especially in Scandinavia and Sweden, they will design workshops. So they design a workshop. And my question is like, that is a social worker work. They may be doing better than you. So what is your design skill there? Um, so there's a lot of discussion of like what a designer, like what you originally asking the question, what is a designer? Today we learned that design is a challenging term, but also as the world is changing, design schools are questioning what the role of designer is in the future. We learned about some of the concepts that sit alongside design thinking how the scientific method and design can complement each other, how systems thinking is becoming increasingly important as the world becomes more complex, and how the individuality of a designer and their subjectivity can be as important when creating a vision for the future. Finally, we discovered how the design students are not necessarily taught design thinking as undergraduates, but they are often discovering the term in industry where suddenly many people not from design school backgrounds are being educated on design topics, which is challenging the design schools to rethink some of the skills that they teach. Next time is our final episode of this series. We're going to be exploring what the impact is of more people becoming more familiar with design and what that might mean for the future of design thinking and the world. This episode was written, recorded and produced by Sam Fry and Richard Adams. Thank you to Alex Stanick, Amanda Foreman, Diana Kangiza, Hal Verts, Jessica Tremblay, Joseph Pakal, Lisa Ayayama, Robert Hockman, Stiliana Minkowska, Tassie Ellen Thompson and Dr. Yankee Lee for being interviewed. All music from this podcast is available on a Creative Commons license downloaded at freemusicarchive.org. Artists include Alex Productions, Circus Marcus, Croanda and Jazar. Don't miss an episode of this series by subscribing to this podcast feed. Also, please give us a five-star rating to help us in the podcast charts. Find out more at technique.create-hub.co.uk. Next time on Technique Explores Design Thinking. If we are to talk about sort of design in a more democratic context, and how essentially anyone can participate in it. I think even the people that don't see themselves as designers 
could probably also start to think about what is what is the design thinking. We look at how design thinking could radically change the world. Design thinking has exploded into the workplace of the 21st century, putting humans at the heart of design. Or does it? Isn't it just the post-it note workshops? More importantly though, where did it come from? How did it become such a massive industry? And where on earth is it going? Is design thinking what is taught in design schools? And can it be used as a philosophy for the future? Find out more as we, Richard Adams and Sam Fry, explore these ideas with experts in the field on our first technique mini-series about design thinking. Subscribe to this podcast so that you don't miss an episode.